Welcome to Choice Classic Radio. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on YouTube, and help keep this show alive by donating at choiceclassicradio.com. For more of your favorite old-time radio shows, join us on our companion podcast, Choice Classic Radio Mystery, Suspense, Dramas, and Horrors, where we bring to you the most mysterious tales that the golden age of radio had to offer. And now, with 326 episodes made, broadcasting from 1939 to 1950, we bring to you The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. Makers of Clippercraft Clothes for Men and 924 leading retail stores from coast to coast present the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. again on the threshold of a well-remembered room. Lamplight streams across the handsome bindings of a cherished and well-read library. The fragrance of a bowl of ruddy apples fills the air. In a comfortable, worn leather armchair sits our old friend and favorite rockanteur, the genial Dr. Watson. Come in, Mr. Harris. Come in and welcome. Welcome to you and all our host of radio friends. You look as if your summer vacation had been a huge success, Doctor. Oh, it was indeed. I've taken off a bit of weight, don't you think? Absolutely. How did you do it? Oh, helping Holmes look after his blasted bees. Mary and I were down in Sussex for a month this summer, you know. I had no idea beekeeping was so strenuous, Doctor. Well, it wasn't that so much as the fact that I was jolly well stunned on the lip by a rampant queen. <laughs> In consequence, I was obliged to partake of a liquid diet for one entire week. But uh, that's enough about me. Suppose we get on to the person I'm sure our listeners are most anxious to hear about, the world's greatest consulting detective by his own admission, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. And which of his adventures are we to have this evening, Doctor? Well, suppose I relate the case of the dog who changed his mind. It concerns a fabulous bottle of ancestral brandy and an old woman whose murder benefited no one but a famous society of wine tasters. Sounds promising. But uh, before we become further involved, don't you think this is a good time to mention the gentleman whose courtesy, not to say checkbooks, have made this winter series of broadcasts possible? A very sound idea, Dr. Watson. For our listeners should know all there is to know about clipper-crack clothes. As millions of men have discovered... They're just about the most amazing clothes values you've ever seen. And as you well know, there's a why and a wherefore for everything. In this case, it's the famous Clippercraft plan. By concentrating the buying power of 924 leading stores from coast to coast, you get all the advantages of steady year-round operation, all the savings in manufacturing and distribution costs. It gives you the benefits of group buying plus the friendly personal attention you expect at the leading store in your community, at the store you can trust. And it doesn't take a Sherlock Holmes to discover that Clippercraft values are second to none. You can buy expensive-looking Clippercraft suits at only $35 and $40, with a few deluxe models at 
You can buy Clippercraft top coats and overcoats at only thirty to forty dollars, and sport jackets at only twenty-four dollars. Believe me, this is your clue to clothes satisfaction this fall. Simply compare Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. Now, Dr. Watson, what about the case of the dog who changed his mind? All right, sir. Yes, I let me see. It was it was in a good old Baker Street days, a rather gloomy day in late October, to be exact. We had uh, breakfasted late in front of a sea coal fire. With my body in one easy chair and my legs upon another, I sat listening with growing irritation to Holmes as he practiced interminable scales and logs. Lissandos and what have you on his violin. At last, a particularly screeching dissonance was more than my frazzled nerves could bear. Holmes, must you do that? Calm yourself, my dear Watson. I was not responsible for that last bit of cacophony. It was caused by the scraping of a carriage wheel against our curbstone. I rather think we're about to receive a client, a lady, rather slight and agitated. Well, how can you possibly tell? You haven't even bothered to look out of the window. My ears, Watson, are nearly as well trained as my eyes. The infinitesimal creak of the carriage springs as its passenger descended to the pavement indicate a slender person. The tap of French heels indicate a lady. The quickness of her step indicates that she's agitated. Yes, decidedly agitated. You must say, Holmes, you have ears like a hawk. Uh, your metaphor is a trifle mixed, my dear Watson, but I accept your tribute. Come in. Mr. Holmes? Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Naturally. This is my friend and colleague, Dr. Watson. Oh, how do you do? Oh, thank heavens you're at home. You must come at once, Mr. Holmes. She's been murdered. I know she has. And they'll blame Reggie. Dr. Tillinghurst has sent for Scotland Yard. Oh, Mr. Holmes, can't you do something? My dear young lady, I can do a great many things. But not until you could give us a coherent account of your difficulty. Oh, I'm so sorry. I have made a fool of myself. But the whole thing is so impossible. You see, she'd never commit suicide. Even at 89, she enjoyed life tremendously. And no one could have killed her because she was alone with the door bolted from the inside. Who is this remarkable old lady and why should anyone want to kill her? She, she was Lady Blenkinsop. But who in the world would want to harm her? Oh, I'll admit she was eccentric and difficult at times. You know the French, Mr. Holmes. But it didn't frighten anyone. Not even Bobo. Bobo? Oh, Bobo is her pug dog. Terribly spoiled, but devoted and funny, too. Oh. It was always with her, sitting on her lap or sleeping at the foot of her bed. Poor little thing. That's where we found him this morning when we broke in the door. Just stood there barking at the noise we made and wagging his tail at Dr. Tillinghurst. Why did you break in the door? Because it was still locked when Potter, uh, he's the butler, brought up Lady Blenkinsop's early tea. She always locked herself in at night. Didn't want anyone to catch sight of her without her curls, I suspect. But this morning was different, I gather. Oh, yes, Mr. Holmes. I made her tea and a bit of toast at 9.30. You see, I'm her companion, but I do cook her breakfast and fix her a bit of lunch. There's a charwoman who comes in to do the heavy cleaning and cooks dinners. And Potter's attends to the rest of the house. Oh, rather a meager domestic staff for a person of Lady Blinkins' upstanding. Eh, what? Is she hard up for funds? Oh, no, I believe she's quite well off. Her own money, too. Of course, the Blenkinsop estates went to Reggie when Lady Blenkinsop's husband died. He inherited the title, too. Creating a certain amount of friction between the old lady and her nephew, no doubt. Oh, no, Dr. Watson. They were devoted to each other. Not that they didn't squabble now and then. 
Like last night, when Reggie stamped out of the house when she took her birthday brandy up to bed with her unopened, without offering him a drink. Well, surely he could drop round to his club if he wanted a nightcap. Well, you don't understand. Lady Blenkinsop's birthday brandy is very special. We've always looked forward to it. But this being the last bottle, I imagine she wanted to save it. Yesterday was her birthday, you see, and I baked her a birthday uh, cake. What happened last night is not what brought you here. Oh, no. Last night was fun. Just Reggie and myself and Lady Blenkinsop. And Potter's, of course. She always gave him a piece of the cake, too. It was all so gay. This morning was horrible. Right from the time you woke up? Oh, as a matter of fact, Potter's was whistling when I gave him her tray to take up. Here's Lady Blankenstock's tray, Potter. Oh, morning, Miss Kitty. Take this morning, Auntie. A bit. I overslept, but it's all right, I hope. I imagine Lady Blankenstock overslept, too, after last night's excitement. I wouldn't count on it. She's a great one, her ladyship is. Next year, she'll be 90. And here she is, as bright and sassy as the day his lordship brought her here, a bride from France. I'll never forget her driving up in the carriage surrounded with all those cases of brandy. Brought them over from France, she had. Said her father had sent them along so she'd have something fit to drink on her birthdays, at least. <laughs> there were so many bottles, I thought she'd never lived to drink the last. But there's no more left, Miss Kitty. That one she took upstairs is the end. She always felt when that brandy was gone, she'd be gone, too. Oh, nonsense, Potter. That's just superstition. Here, you'd better take her tea up before it gets cold, or she'll snatch you bald-headed. <laughs> and how could she do that when it's bald? I've been 30 years now. <laughs> oh, Miss Kitty, there's the front door. It's all right, Potters. I'll answer it. Oh, Dr. Tillinghurst, good morning. Good morning, Miss Kitty. Started away. I'll just leave my umbrella here in the stand. How's Lady Blenkinsop this morning? I don't really know. I've just sent her tray up. I think she may have slept later than usual. Yesterday was her birthday, you know. That's exactly why I dropped by. Thought she might have overdone it a bit. Can't be too careful at her age. Thought I'd like to listen to her heart. I'll go up and announce you. Good girl. I don't know what she pays you, but whatever it is, it's not enough. <laughs> I do all right. Besides, I enjoy my work here. She's really lots of fun. And doesn't give you much time to yourself, I imagine. Hello. What's wrong with Potters? He's still standing outside the door. What's the matter, Potters? I, I've knocked and I've knocked, but she doesn't say come in. Well, go in anyway. I can't. The door's still bolted. Let me try. Lady Blenkinsop? Lady Blenkinsop, are you awake? That's Bobo. He's heard us. But why doesn't Lady Blenkinsop answer? Open the door. Please open the door. Uh, I think we'd better force the door. Come on, Potters, help me. Yes, sir. We'll use this heavy chair. Steady now. One and two and... Easy, Bobo, easy, 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 easy. It's all right, old fellow. Oh, she's still asleep. But she's so white. Oh, Dr. Tillinghurst, I'm frightened. I'll have a look at her. Where's my stethoscope? No pulse. Pupils contracted. Miss Kitty, look there on the bed table. She did open the brandy bottle after all. Don't touch anything. Everything must be left exactly as it is. But Dr. Tillinghurst. Lady Blankensop is dead. Poisoned. 
Oh, no. Potters, go for the police. Tell them Lady Blankensop has committed suicide. Tell them to inform Scotland Yard. She wouldn't do that. I know she Miss wouldn't. Kitty, I want you to go to the nearest apothecaries. I shall want some things. We shall have to make some tests. Meantime, I'll try to fasten this door. No one is to be loud in here. No one. Come on, Bobo. Come on. Come on. It's a good boy. <laughs> She didn't kill herself, Mr. Holmes. I know she didn't. She was terrified of death. Then someone else must have poisoned her. You did say she was poisoned. Dr. Tillinghurst seemed to think so. But who could have done it? No one could have got into the room. The door was barred on the inside. So were all the shutters I noticed particularly. Could anyone have been hidden somewhere in the room before she went upstairs? No. I looked under the bed and the dressing table. She always made me do that when I brought her up to bed. She was terrified of the dark, you see. No, she was quite alone when she met her death. Maybe she took an overdose of something by accident. Maybe the brandy was poisoned. Maybe she had a secret sorrow. Watson, I abhor guessing games. I prefer facts. Get your overcoat while I summon a four-wheeler. It's vital we reach Lady Blankensop's house before Scotland Yard has had a chance to muck up the clues. You say that Lady Blankensop was French. You don't happen to know her family name. Yes, Mr. Holmes. It was de Fezinac. Her father was a count. Hmm. De Fezinac. No wonder her bridal brandy was rather special, eh, Watson? De Fezinac. De Fezinac. Sounds vaguely familiar. Can't say I placed it, however. The de Fezinacs are a branch, I might say, the main trunk of the great house of Armagnac. From which the name of the brandy is derived. By Jove, of course. Oh, I do remember Lady Blenkinsop going on about her family's vineyard. It seems it was customary for every daughter of the house to take with her, as part of her dowry, half a dozen cases of the brandy that was bottled the year of her birth. Lady Blenkinsop always boasted that hers was a particularly fine year. She opened a bottle every birthday. Half a dozen cases. Let's see, that's, that's 72 bottles. Lady Blenkinsop was 87. By Jove, that means she was 17 when she was married. All of which has no bearing on the case whatsoever. Never clutter up the mind with non-essentials, Watson. That's your weakness. Well, who's to decide what's essential in a case like this? I am. Tell me, Miss Kitty, who benefits by Lady Blenkinsop's death? Benefits? Why, no one. Goodness, no one ever wanted to... her to die, I'm sure. We were all much too fond of her. Let me put it this way, then. Who inherits Lady Blenkinsop's money? The nephew, I suppose, and you and Potters have been left a small legacy, no doubt. Gracious, no, Mr. Holmes. Lady Blenkinsop's last will leaves everything to a French society of wine tasters. The Chevalier de Vendage Ancien. The Knights of the Ancient Vintages. Go to the head of the class, Watson. It's for the improvement of the French wine industry, you see. Hmm. You said her last will. How long ago did she make it? Oh, about eight months ago, Mr. Holmes. Who was her heir before that? Why, Reggie, of course. But you mustn't draw any wrong conclusions about that, Mr. Holmes. Reggie didn't need the money. Why, he's plenty of his own. Really, they were very devoted to each other. They just... Well, they just didn't always see eye to eye about certain subjects. For instance? Oh, I don't know. Reggie didn't approve of Bobo being fed sweetmeat. They had terrific squabbles about things like that. What exactly was the squabble that caused Lady Blenkinsop to change her will? It was all so silly, really. A tempest in a teapot. It didn't mean a thing. What didn't mean a thing? He's holding my hand. Reggie, I mean. He just happened to have handed me the morning mail, and he... 
Well, he just forgot to let go. Lady Blenkinsop didn't approve, I take it. She was always afraid he would make what she called an unsuitable alliance. Uh, the French point of view, of course, eh, Holmes? Not entirely. How did Reggie react? He was furious. He said when he married, it would be when and how and to whom he dashed well pleased. Bully for him. But it's all so ridiculous. You see, Reggie never showed any interest in me before or since. Hmm. Pity, eh, Holmes? Oh, here we are. This is Lady Blankensop's house. Gloomy old mausoleum, eh, Holmes? Hop out, Watson, and ring the doorbell. That's a good chap. Oh, that won't be necessary, Mr. Holmes. I have a key. <laughs> I gather Scotland Yard is here before us. How can you tell, Mr. Holmes? Unless I'm very much mistaken, that's Inspector Lestrade's official umbrella still dripping on the vestibule floor. Perhaps we're not too late after all. Oh, Miss Kitty, I'm so glad you've come back. I just brought the gentleman from Scotland Yard. He's in the reception room. Well, well, if it isn't Inspector Lestrade, the watchdog of Scotland Yard. Holmes, what in blazes are you doing here? My usual occupation, investigating a crime. There's no crime this time, Holmes. Lady dies. Poisoned, they tell me. Absolutely alone she is. Doors and windows locked tight on the inside. Clear case of suicide. The Scotland Yard method. Reductio ad absurdum. And what's wrong with that? Whatever it is? Personally, I prefer to review the facts. Dr. Dillinghurst says, will you be kind enough to come upstairs, gentlemen? He's waiting outside her ladyship's door. We'll be right up. Thank you, Potter. Hey, great Scott. What's that unearthly racket? It's Bobo, her ladyship's dog. Dr. Tillinghurst says he's been carrying on like that on her threshold ever since he took him out of the room and closed the door. Bobo, don't! Oh, stop him, somebody. She knows she's lying there dead, poor little creature. Can't you make him stop, Dr. Tillinghurst? He's always been so fond of you. Make him stop. He won't even let me near the door. Nice, Bobo. Be a good dog. There, you see. Oh, I'm sorry, Dr. Tillinghurst. This is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. Oh, how do you do, sir? How do you do? Suppose we allow Scotland Yard to handle the situation. Think I want to have Nan taken all by a vicious brute? <laughs> no, thanks. But he's not vicious. At least he never was before. Very well. I'll take over. Mr. Sherlock Holmes to the rescue. That's enough, Bobo. We know how you feel. That's right. Quiet down. Well, now look at that. He's crawling over to him. He's letting himself be picked up. He's licking his ear. Wanted to tell me something, is that it? Yes, I understand. I understand very well, old fellow. Now, Dr. Tillinghurst, the inspector and I will see if we can get to the bottom of this mystery. It's no mystery to me, Holmes. That's what you think, my dear Lestrade. That's what you think. Now, if you'll follow me, gentlemen. Uh, this will be rather unpleasant, Miss Kitty. You'd better remain outside. See, Inspector Lestrade, the pupils are definitely contracted. Face pale, extremities cyanotic. Right you are, Dr. Tillinghurst. It's poison, all right. But which one? We won't know until we've made tests, of course. I sent Miss Kitty up with a solution of ferric chloride. If it's opium or one of its derivatives, as I suspect, that should do the trick. Uh, Dr. Tillinghurst, 
Were you in the habit of prescribing opium or any of the other somniferous poisons for Lady Blenkinsop? Certainly not. I say, Holmes, look here. The brandy bottle's been tipped over. All the brandy's run out on the carpet. Oh, poor Lady Blenkinsop. She always said she'd die when the brandy was gone. And now it is. And so is she. Oh, that'll do, Potter. There'll be no time for idle superstition. Yes, sir. If you ask me, it's a plot. Whoever spilled the brandy knew it had been poisoned. Didn't want to leave any about to be tested. The brandy was not poisoned, Watson. Here, notice the wax that sealed the cork. Mm. That wax was melted over that cork when Lady Blenkinsop was a girl. She herself removed it last night after she'd locked her door when she was by herself. Well, at least she did have a drink of it on her birthday, poor old soul. And here it is now seeped into the carpet. What a dreadful waste. You say she never took a sedative, Dr. Tillinghurst, or a painkiller of any sort? That she did, sir. A bit of laudanum when she got a toothache. Oh, yeah, of course, I, I did prescribe laudanum a year or so ago. Christmas it was, I think. Yes, when she developed an ache in a lower bicuspid. Did the Lady Blenkinsop suffer from frequent toothache potters? Only when she was excited, sir. Like holidays and birthdays, and now and then when she bet on a horse. Then uh, yesterday being her birthday, she probably developed a toothache and took a dose of laudanum before retiring. Of course, that explains it all. Laudanum is an opium derivative. She took an overdose. You know, I never could persuade her to be accurate. Her confounded Gallic temperament. Uh, Potters, do you know where she kept her medicines? Oh, yes, sir. Top drawer, the dressing table. Oh, yes, of course, I remember. Let's see. Ah, yes. Yes, here we are. Batley's Liquor Opii Sedativus. That's double strength laudanum. She must have bought this at the apothecaries herself and didn't realize it was at least four times as strong as the prescription I gave her. Doesn't take much of an overdose to turn the trick when you're 89. Well, Holmes, there you are. Now are you satisfied? A plain case of accidental suicide by poison. I've never doubted that Lady Blenkinsop was doped, Lestrade, and quite probably by her own hand. But that's not what caused her death. No, Lestrade, Lady Blenkinsop was asphyxiated, strangled. The evidence is obvious. Really, Mr. Holmes? I'm astonished that a man of your reputation should be ignorant of the fact that the symptom of asphyxia and death by one of the somniferous poisons... Are almost identical. Yes, he's right, Holmes. Every doctor knows that. Besides, there's no sign of a struggle. If she'd been strangled, she'd have put up a fight. Not necessarily if she'd been doped first. Tell me, Potters, was Lady Blenkinsop in the habit of wearing her pearls to bed? I see what you're driving at, Holmes. The pearls did it. Got caught around her neck. And with all that laudanum in her, she never realized they were strangling her. Wrong again, Lestrade. She was strangled, not accidentally, by her pearls but intentionally by someone who saw her helpless condition and held a pillow or perhaps the bedclothes over her mouth until she stopped breathing. In fact, I strongly suspect she came too long enough to put out a hand and upset that bottle of brandy. Oh, imagination, Mr. Holmes. Pure imagination. Really? Then how do you account for this lint up her nostrils? Well, I'll be... Well, I never noticed. You didn't notice, Lestrade, because you didn't look. If you perform an autopsy, I've no doubt you'll find more bits of lint in her lung. Lint from the very finest French linen. Lady Blankensop always bought her linens in France. Exactly. Oh, but this is preposterous. How did the chap get in to strangle her? Remember, the doors and windows were still bolted tight when Dr. Tillingus and the others broke in this morning and found her dead. When the doctor said he found her dead? Yeah, what's the difference? 
Why do you suppose he sent the rest of the household out of the house in such a hurry? Uh, why? First, because he didn't want them to get a good look at her and realize she wasn't dead, only drugged. And second, and here comes the really diabolical part of the whole affair. Second, so he could come back quietly when the house was empty and finish her off. Ridiculous. Lot of lies. You can't prove a thing. No? Then why wasn't Bobo upset when you broke in this morning? Because he knew his mistress was still alive. Not. Why did he later turn on you and offer to bite you? Because he'd seen you go back and kill his mistress. <laughs> of course, if, if you're going to put a dumb beast in the witness box. And why is the brandy splashed on your shoes? That's not brandy, it's mud. I've been walking in the rain. Analysis will show what it is, Dr. Tillinghurst. Well, suppose it is brandy. I sometimes stop into a pub on a bad day for a brandy and soda. I may have spilled some on my boots. Uh, that's right, Holmes. Uh, what can we prove? Now, let's be sensible. What... What reason, what possible motive could I have for killing off one of my best patients? Yeah, that's a fact, Holmes. No motive. No possible motive whatsoever. Would you consider a fabulous rope of pearls worth, say, eight or ten thousand pounds? Would you consider that sufficient motive, my dear Lestrade? But, Lady, Blankensop's pearls are still obviously on the body. Those are not the Blankensop pearls, Lestrade. Eh? What? Oh, I'll admit they're very clever imitations. Yes, if you'll investigate that bulge in the doctor's upper left-hand pocket, I think you may discover the genuine pearls. Watson, quick, don't let him get away. No, you don't. Stop or I'll kill you full of lead. By Jove, I'm sorry, Holmes. I, I had no idea the blighter would make a bolt for it. <laughs> don't worry, Watson. I fancy Lestrade is still capable of handling the more rough-and-tumble side of apprehending criminals. Oh, Mr. Holmes, what happened? I just saw Inspector Lestrade escorting Dr. Tillinghurst out of the front door in handcuffs. What does it mean? My dear Miss Kitty, it means that the criminal has yet to be born who can put anything over on Mr. Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> A very entertaining story, Dr. Watson. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Mr. Harris. Now, of course, there are one or two small matters that puzzle me. Why did Holmes say the dog had told him something when he picked him up? A very interesting question with a very interesting answer. I'll give it to you after you've said a few words about the excellent product that puts the bill for us. Right, Dr. Watson. When you can go to your favorite store and get the nation's most exciting clothes value, that's just good common sense. For the Clipper Craft plan is just another matter of simple logic. So that you receive all the benefits of group purchasing, it concentrates the buying power of 924 leading stores across the country. It makes possible the nation's highest standard of clothes value brought to you at the leading independent store you really enjoy visiting and that enjoys serving you. Where you're a person, not just another number on a sales check. Now, bear in mind that Clipper Craft clothes are faultlessly tailored from luxurious, long-wearing fabrics. That Clipper Craft smart styles fit to custom perfection. Despite the fact that costs of materials and manufacturing are rising, there are new fall Clipper Craft suits at only $35 and $40. There are a few special models at $43.75. Clipper Craft top coats and overcoats are only $30 to $40, and sport jackets only $24. Selling expensive clothes at inexpensive prices at the nation's finest stores is the great big idea behind the Clippercraft plan. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. 
The leading stores in the metropolitan area that bring you Clippercraft clothes are Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th Street, Manhattan, Abraham and Strauss, Brooklyn, the Boulevard Men's Shop, Kresge, Newark, Newark, New Jersey, and the B&B Clothes Shop, 164-08 Jamaica Avenue, Jamaica. These great courteous and friendly stores are proud to add their names to that of Clippercraft in the label of your suit, topcoat, sports jacket, and overcoat. <laughs> question about Burger, Mr. Harris. When Holmes picked up the dog, he was struck by the fact that his paws were wet. Wet with something that smelled suspiciously like brandy. Later, when he entered the death chamber and saw the overturned bottle, he knew exactly what must have happened. I wonder if I'd have been that smart. Uh, one more thing, Dr. Watson. Yes, Mr. Harris? What story are you going to give us next week? Uh, next week, I think it'll be the case of the missing heiress. Or how very charming and very hot-headed Canadian girl disappeared from her carriage in full regalia on her way to be presented at court. The makers of Clipper Craft Clothes and 924 leading retail stores from coast to coast have brought you the first in a new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Sherlock Holmes is produced and directed by Basil Lochran. Our stories are written by Edith Miser, with special music by Albert Berman. Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by Alfred Shirley. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen again next week to Sherlock Holmes. In The Case of the Missing Heiress. If you wish to attend the Sherlock Holmes broadcasts in New York, see your local Clipper Craft dealer, and he'll tell you how to obtain tickets. This is Cy Harris speaking for Clipper Craft Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Stay with us for Melvin Elliott's report on the news which follows station identification. Fly Eastern Airlines' new type Constellation service to Houston in only five hours and 50 minutes. For immediate reservations, call Eastern Airlines or your travel agent. WOR, the World Series station in New York. That concludes today's episode. We'd like to thank you and remind you to donate at choiceclassicradio.com. Remember, your donations make episodes like this possible.